And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do they say that I am? Peter answered him, or who do you say that I am? Sorry, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and, and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said that this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But uh, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling a crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would say his life will lose it, or whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful, sinful generation of him will the, son of man, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste, taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come to power. Um, it's, it's genuinely great to be here, um, so thank you for having me. Um, actually, these are really cool. I don't, know, I don't know if anyone else has seen these or if these are really normal, but these are not normal to me, uh, these little bits, but they're very good. Um, I think as you mentioned earlier, um, I, do, I do quite enjoy mission. It's something I'm really passionate about, but a large part of that is because I became a Christian at university, and it was actually in the New Frontier Church, and not a church not dissimilar to this one here. Um, it was on an Alpha course, and it really set me on this trajectory to really uh, care about mission at, in university context, but also wherever we actually are. And I just wanted to say that I, I love the foundation of what the uh, foundation, I've just read it, haven't I? Um, but the real grinding of this church and this idea of being word and spirit but looking to reach out into the community, and I think that's fantastic. Um, but I wanted to start this morning um, with just a couple of stories. Um, the first one was, um, so I'd, I'd become a Christian over in Canterbury in England, and um, I was passionate about mission. And someone came up to me and said, you know what, I think you should take a year, don't go straight into business, take a year and do some mission in Canterbury and then go and do that. Um, and I was like, I don't know, it doesn't sound great. And he's like, there's no, there's no money really in it. You know, you're going to have to find out yourself. And I was like, really selling it? I had nowhere to live. I didn't have very much. And um, I got in the car with this family at the church. And um, they're like, oh, I hear you. You want to take a year and do some mission in Canterbury? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. But I don't know if it's going to happen. And they were like, would well, you want to come and live with us? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, wait, what, you want me to come and move in with you? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'd love that. I was like, well, this is a bit weird. Um, and I was like, but I, I, I don't really have anything to give you. I don't have any money. And they were like, that's fine. That's fine. You don't need any money. We, we just want you to come and live with us, and we'll not charge you anything. And I was like, this sounds a bit strange. So I rang my dad, um, who was a very young Christian at this point, and he was like, yeah, no, there's definitely something wrong with that. And, you know, the whole stranger danger thing's going off. You're like, what do they want from me? Like, I've got nothing to give them. And he's like, yeah, it's a trap. Um, like, why would they do this? And 
I remember I, got, I went and chatted to them, and I said, like, I'll go and ask them. And I was like, why, why would you do this? And they're like, we just feel like Jesus has told us to. We just felt like he told us to let you come and live with us. And I was like, right, okay. Now, I, I did go and live with them, and it was wonderful. But the reason they did that was because of Jesus. A couple of years later, I was, um, I was speaking at a conference uh, in Lviv in Ukraine, and not everyone was there. It wasn't a full conference. And then about five o'clock, all these people arrived in. And I was like, what's going on? And they pulled me aside and they took me to a different room. And I, surprisingly, um, I couldn't speak Russian, which is what the conference was being spoken in. So we had a translator. And the couple, the, this group came over to me and they're like, oh, we're just so glad to be here. And I was like, all oh, right, great for you. And then someone was like, oh, they've traveled like two days to be here, Chris. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, like, you know, I mean, we did a car journey across England this summer, and it was horrible, that's like five hours, they traveled for two days to get to this, they'd left Crimea, where Russia had just invaded, and they'd actually been told that they weren't allowed to actually meet above ground anymore, and they had to go underground, and so they risked quite a lot in even just traveling to Lviv, and I was like, why did, why would you do this, why not just stay there, and they're like, No, we wanted to come and learn how to share Jesus. We wanted other people around us to see the good news of Jesus. It was because of Jesus. And this might not sound that strange to you. There's probably lots of stories that you know, but these are strange things, strange things that people do because of Jesus, because of their trust in him and realizing that their life is not their own, but his We've just heard that read so wonderfully for us. And actually, this is what this passage is all about. One of my colleagues has just left, has just left Northern Ireland, the promised land where everything's wonderful and perfect, to go to Torino in Italy, to a country where she doesn't know the language, she has no house, she doesn't have enough money yet, so that she can share about Jesus. Now that scares me, you know, the fact we're just speaking English, that's hard enough for me in trying to share Jesus and she wants to go and do that in a language she can't yet speak. But this is something that we're seeing more and more. And I'm not just saying that this is in the, in the big things, in these big moments, but in the everyday. What does it look like for us to follow him and to be his in, in the everyday? And this is where we dive into Mark 8. And so far in Mark's gospel, you guys have been looking at Mark's gospel, and I'm sure most of you have probably spent some time in it, but through Mark's gospel so far, we've seen these incredible healings, these incredible things that Jesus has done, and he's been drawing them to himself, he's been drawing them in, and he's been then sharing who he is. And it builds to this incredible little crescendo, where the gospel just changes at this moment. So far, we've been seeing Jesus open up who he is, what he's like, and who he's about, And after this, it becomes what it is to follow him. But this is this little pivot point in the whole of Mark's gospel. And you probably um, have heard recently there was the story of the blind man. Just before this in chapter 8, 22 to 26, of this sort of this physical healing. A man who was blind can now see. And that's really important. Nothing in Mark's gospel is there by accident. Actually, what they're trying to draw us to is that this was a symbolic thing. They were blind but now we can see. And that's not just physical, it's spiritual. And as we come to this passage, it's, they've heard about who Jesus is. And so many people are blind to what that really means. But actually, what is it to be spiritually open to that? And so maybe as you approach us here today, maybe you know something of Jesus. You've got an idea of who he is. You've, you've maybe known him for a while. And actually, as we approach this passage, these disciples have walked with Jesus. They've ate with him. They spent lots of time with him. 
They know him. But do they really know who he is? And this is what we get to here. And so as we open up chapter, uh, verse 27 there, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. He seems to be skirting the city. He seems to be seeking out these smaller audiences, smaller groups to kind of come alongside them, to talk to them, and to meet them where they're at. And there's quite a lot of hype building. And that's why uh, he then asks, just to see in verse 27, and on his way, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Lots of people are hearing about Jesus that they've heard little bits about what he's done. And then, so he wants to find out who they think he is. And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. So they're saying, do you know what? Jesus is pretty good, you know? He's right up there. He's right up there at the top of like this illustrious list of people who've been deemed as worthy in Israel. These really great people who've done incredible things for God. But it was probably almost like saying he's, he's a great moral teacher who's very close to God, but that's, that's a, he's, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's a great guy, but we're not really sure he's much more than that. And we see that today everywhere. I was reading a book not that long ago um, by Jacqueline Novogratz, and uh, she was writing about the lack of ethics in business in America. And she was saying every university student needs to understand that businesses can't just be about money. We need to do something more with them. And in her book, The Moral Revolution, she encourages every student, and she's not a Christian, she encourages every student to go away and read about Jesus' life as a foundation for why they should build their businesses moving forward. The world look at Jesus and go, oh, do you know what? He seems like a good guy. You should look at him more. You should be more like him. And we as Christians can look at that and go, oh, they've just got it wrong. They've missed it. But don't we do that too? Do we not just end up having Jesus' this nice guy that we follow? We're like, do you know what? He's right up there. He's right up there in like history. But does he really change our lives? Do our lives look different because we know Jesus? The author Sam Albury had talked incredibly about a theology of bread. Now, my wife, who's not here, she works in a bread, as in she's upstairs, so she hasn't just disappeared entirely. She works in a bread shop, so we get a lot of bread through our house. And Sam Albury says in the Old Testament, bread is a sign of provision. It's a sign of, you know, God will provide. So they're in the wilderness, and he brings manna, they bring bread. God provides, isn't the world great? Bread is what you need to sustain yourself. But Sam, Sam says, so then Jesus comes in the New Testament, he goes, I'm the bread of life. And everyone's like, yeah, you're the bread of life. This is great. But he says, actually, we don't really view it like that today. If you go to a restaurant, do you have bread as your main course? I'm not sure you do. And Sam Albury says, we'll tend to, at best, have bread as a starter. We don't want too much of it because we don't want to be filled up before we really get what we really want, which is our main course. And he says that actually that's a lot of how we view Jesus. As Christians today, what we do is we go, do you know what, let's take Let's, let's take some of Jesus, we'll enjoy him. But he's really only there just before we get onto the real stuff that we want to do. So maybe in our day, you know, we get to enjoy, maybe we do open up the Bible in the morning, we have some time of praise, maybe we dance to our songs, and then we're like, do you know what? Now it's time for the real part of our day, the real meat of our day, our career, our family, the things that really matter. Even on a Sunday, we can do that. You know, even on the way here, Katie and I are like, what are we, what are we going to have for lunch? You know, the real important things of today. But actually, he argues that this is how we as Christians now view Jesus. In a world that has become so consumeristic, Jesus is just a starter to our life rather than the main course. 
But Jesus, in Mark's gospel, does not leave that open to us. And that's why he says what he says. He wants to know who people think he is. And that's why, verse 29, but who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to ask this of them. And so James Edwards writes, it is a little less daunting to venture the options of others than to risk declaring your own thought. We don't really want to give our own opinion on anything anymore in case it gets shot down. We've been decorating the house and very rarely will Katie or I actually say what we think but in case the other person shoots it down. We'll only tell them after we've painted the walls that we thought it was an awful choice. But we usually wait till it's done. But we do it with films, we do it with books, we do it with dinners and we look at what other people think. We go on TripAdvisor to see what other people thought of a restaurant. We look at what other people think of clothes. We consume other people's opinions of things. And Jesus wants to bring this right back. He said, Who do you, what do other people think? But what about you? Jesus' mission isn't to see if lots of people just like him. He doesn't care how many people like his quote on Instagram. He wants to know what people think of him and who they judge him to be. Do they see him as the living God? He wants his disciples to move from passive recipients to active participants. And let's not think he's rushed them into this decision. He's been with them for months. He's been walking with them. He's been eating with them. They've seen him. They've seen him heal people. They've seen him teach. They've been in close proximity with him. So he's not just asking them to make a decision based on some sort of like aloof idea of someone that they've roughly heard about. They've experienced the living Jesus. And he's saying, who do you think I am? You've been with me. And Peter tells him, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. And this is a massive point in Mark's gospel. Until this point, only God or demons have said that Jesus was God. This is the first time that we've seen someone living on earth go, this is Jesus, you are God. This is the first mark that the disciples actually believe that he is God. But very quickly, you see verse 30, Jesus recognizes this is not quite as they mean it. And so verse 30, and he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. Or to tell no one about it. It? Him. Yeah. And he does that because he realizes their idea of a Messiah is wrong. They think that Jesus is going to come in with a sword and defeat Rome. And they're all going to be conquered and they're going to rise up and everything's going to be great. And they'll lead this victory march. But Jesus has come to suffer. He has come to die on our behalf. And he doesn't want them to get the wrong idea and then other people getting the wrong idea before his time has come. He must die in a certain way, and he doesn't want that to go out. And so he uses this opportunity to then explain to them what it is to be a disciple. They've had this great high point where they've gone, do you know what? You're Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the one that we knew was going to come. And he uses this opportunity to teach them about what that's going to look like. And so verse 31 and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Jesus decides this is the time to open up this great mystery, this great mystery of the Old Testament and into the New, that he'd suffer. But what's really interesting is this is a very intentional bit of language here. He began to teach him. This is just the start of their education. 
This is where them him opening up what has been the whole of sort of uh, Jewish history and all the writings that they've read. This is what it all culminated. This is what it means. And he began to teach them. But he's also carefully pointed out that he will be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. These are not people who'd make some flippant decision on who Jesus is. They would have studied it. They'd have really processed this. They'd have really looked at it. And Jesus wants to point out that his death would not be some momentary lapse of concentration, somebody just getting really angry and worked up. This would have been a really premeditated and thought through death. These were people who claimed that they were doing this for the benefit of God. His death would be justified through religious people's actions. And often we live in a world not entirely dissimilar. We'll see things done in the name of God and in an act of the Bible. And yet, that's, it's, it's undefensible. Well, he said these things plainly, verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter is thinking, this, is, this isn't right. This is not what you came for. And as we talked about, he had this wrong view of messiahship. He thought this meant that Jesus was going to rise up, defeat everyone, and he would live this great life. He sought this life of comfort over the life that what Jesus was called to. And you might kind of then turn and be like, what? Because then we see, but turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus looking out on them all, he goes, get behind me, Satan. Which is a bit of an interesting turn of phrase, but the word Satan actually derives from the Hebrew word of the same pronunciation, meaning an adversary. Those opposing this will of God, that is what this he was meaning whenever he said this. Get behind me, Satan. Peter is opposing Jesus and what his will was at this point. Peter decides to play God. He decides he knows better than what God is. He decides it's better to choose a life of comfort over a calling. And, that, and we see that in ourselves as well. And this is then Jesus, he's then like, do you know what? He needs to go a little bit further. And so verse 34, sorry. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to them and the disciples, he's bringing them together, he's drawing people in, and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. We'll come back to that verse in a little minute. Whoever would lose his life, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake, for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is concerned because a wrong view of messiahship, of who he would be, of what he had come to do, leads to a wrong view of discipleship. We, he, Jesus knew he was going to leave us and he wanted to leave that trajectory of knowing what it was to be a Christian, what the calling of one of his followers would look like. It wouldn't mean living a life of comfort and one where everything goes really well. And so often when we present the gospel to people and we want other people to hear the good news of Jesus, we tell them, do you know what? You can have eternity in heaven. And, isn't, and that is wonderful. It is great. But so often we're unwilling to recognize the cost that that will take. Billy Graham said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost us everything we have. Sometimes we think about it and we look at our lives and go, are we prepared to give that up? When the fellow worker with me said that she was going to go to Torino, I was like, I mean, you're giving up quite a lot here. I could never do that. You know, we've, we've got kids, right? They can't move countries, can they? They, they, don't, they don't know how to get a plane. You make all these excuses. You're like, they couldn't do that. 
the idea of someone coming and living with us like I did to that family. I'm like, oh, I mean, do I want to give that up, you know? We so want to stay in our life of comfort that so often we ignore the calling that the Lord has put on our life. And we see after that. He goes on, you know, what does it profit a man to, to get the whole world and forfeit his soul? What can you return for that? And he challenges them in another way. It's not just about stuff, but it's how you view him. Are we ashamed of him? Because if we are, he'll be ashamed of us when that day comes when we stand before our Heavenly Father. So often in this life, we do seek a life of comfort, one that gives us money and stature, of happiness, of self-contentment. But it doesn't take long to look and go, do you know what? We see this in so many people, and they tell us how they're unfulfilled. Jim Carrey's famous line of, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they ever dreamed of and realize it's not the answer. This idea that we can so be searching, you know, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy when... You talk to my wife and I, we'll be happy when our house is sorted, right? You know, we've got a, a building side of a garden right now, but that's not when our life will be happy. If we're not able to be content with Jesus in the now, we won't be then. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously died for his faith. He wrote this, It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies a sinner. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Bonhoeffer was, was, was getting frustrated this thing called cheap grace. This idea that we can just live as we please and just say, do you know what? Jesus saved us. We're fine. We don't need to worry about what the rest of life has to say because Jesus saved us. We can do whatever we want to. And Bonhoeffer was saying, no, your life has been bought at such a great cost. Do you know that? Do you see that? That should change the way that you live. We cannot stay the same. And he recognized that. But sometimes as we look at passages like this, we can look at someone like Digit Bonhoeffer and go, do you know what, then we should just give up everything. We should throw away everything. Just tell me what I need to do. Give me a list of things of what it looks like for me to deny myself and I'll be fine, right? But actually, that doesn't really work. We're sinners and although we can have good advice, we we keep failing and we continue to fail. And this is where we actually come back to verse 34. And I'm going to open that up a little bit more now. But um, John Tyson helpfully uh, opened this up a little bit. A disciple... It's not actually a quote, I'm paraphrasing, but a disciple is someone who desires Jesus, denies themselves, brings discipline, and carries direction. And so if we have a little bit of a deeper look here at verse 34, desires Jesus. And calling to Christ, he said to them, and with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, if you read the NIV, it actually says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Jesus is saying, do you want me? Now, this is what the start of being a disciple looks like. My wife uh, wishes I had abs. I know that sounds like a really weird concept to bring up right now, but this has been a long topic of conversation. Um, I I used to weigh quite a lot more at university and I lost some weight, but I've done like a, a long distance triathlon and things like that. And she's like, if you can choose to do that, why don't you get abs? Because apparently that's something she thinks I should have. And if you can't tell, I don't, I don't have visible abs right now. 
And so I tried, right? Four days in a row, I got up early and I did some sit-ups and I was like, great. And then I failed. I was like, I just don't want it. I just don't care. I know that sounds bad, some of you are sitting here, but we went to the gym and there's a guy, I don't know if he still comes here, a guy called James Laurie, and he, he was our coach and she was like, look at his abs. And, you know, and it was something that we realized that when we sometimes are told to do something, we just don't want to do it. We, we struggle to motivate ourselves to do it. But I, I lost to someone in the gym there a couple of weeks ago, a good friend of mine in a work guy, and I, I was a little bit disappointed. And I was like, do you know what? I'm going to get fit, and I'm going to beat you. And I'm, I'm, I've started eating better, and I've started exercising more. And Katie's like, and where was this when I wanted you to get abs? <laughs> the motivation came from a desire to be better, a desire to, 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 that, that motivated me. And so often when it comes to our Christian life, We don't desire it because we don't see how good it is to follow Jesus. We don't see the desire to follow him. And so often we go, do you know what? We just need to be better. We just need to put more rules in place and everything will come round. But what Jesus says here is the first thing of being a disciple is desiring him, desiring to be with him. That will change the way that we are. We can't just expect ourselves to change by creating more rules, but it's about desiring him. Do you enjoy spending time with God? I know it seems like a slightly strange question, but do you enjoy it? Um, I currently go to a Presbyterian church, and although I'm definitely not a Presbyterian, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it's, you know, what is the chief end of man? So what's the purpose of a man? Well, it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Our first calling as a Christian, each and every single day, is to enjoy him to spend time with him, to want to be with him. But often we don't do that. Like Sam Albury mentioned, you know, he becomes a starter to our day. We're like, well, we just should do that because we were told to do it, so we'll try and do it. And we end up failing it. But do we seek out time to pray, to enjoy opening up his word, to praise together? We're trying to do this more as a family. We're trying. And it's hard. It's a real wrestle. But we want to see more of Jesus in our life. We want to be following him. We want to seek him more. And that should be the primary calling in our day. And that leads to this denial of self. So verse 43, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, Let him deny himself. First comes desire. And when we desire Jesus, when we spend time with him, we get to enjoy him, we then deny ourselves. It's so easy in this world to live in a world that just encourages us just to to continue to enjoy what we have. And it's so easy, you know, we've got a few neighbors who we've got to know really well and they want to come around, they want to come and and visit us. And I'm like, I don't know, we're quite busy, Katie. Do they need to come over? You know, we could just sit here. We could open a Terry's Chocolate Orange. We We could watch, you know, Clarkson's Farm or some other TV program that's on. And actually, it's me seeking this life of comfort. So often we choose to not deny ourselves. We choose to give ourselves the things that we want to. And actually, the kingdom of God is one that will sometimes, it will deny ourselves maybe money so that we can give it to other people in need, to give it to projects, to give it to a church that's looking to do outreach. Our own time, what we do with our time, whether that's in serving or whether it's enjoying God, we are always making a choice between two things. But it's not denial for denial's sake. 
It is denial that will draw us closer to Jesus. And we will get to experience heaven one day. But it's a, everything that we do becomes a choice between the world or with Jesus. So even as we come down in the morning, what's the first thing that we look at? Is the first thing we look at on our phones and on social media or is it well, our Bibles? If we're looking to desire Jesus, we need to remember that we're going to be discipled. We're all discipled by something. And so if we look at our phones, you know, first thing in the morning, we're being discipled more by what that world is telling us than the one that Jesus calls us to. So it's not denial for denial's sake, but it's a denial that hopefully will rebuild us. And so as we have this desire, we'll deny ourselves and we remove this, the things in our life that kind of pull us back. But then we rebuild it in discipline. So we see that then, verse 34, and take up his cross, take up, take up your cross. Now, we will not physically take up a cross in the same way that Jesus did. He has done that and he has accomplished that. But in following him, we will receive this suffering. We will receive this. And that might look different for every one of us. There's not one size fits all on this. The cross for us at this season of life is when children are being bad to show grace and love to them and not just lash out in anger. I was working uh, in um, a, a charity in Belfast, not a Christian charity, and um, I remember I was like, do you know what, I'm going to let everyone know I'm a Christian, and I was mocked for it. They thought it was hilarious. Why would any thinking person be a Christian? It's a stupid thing to be. You gain nothing from it, and intellectually, you must be an idiot, Chris. And in some ways, that was me picking up my cross, just being open and honest about my faith. But Jesus does use those things. He does use them. One day I was called into a, a secret meeting with my manager in the kitchen because um, he didn't want anyone to overhear us because he wanted he, he closed the door behind us and I was like, this is a bit weird. And he's like, I want to talk to you, Chris, because I think I experienced something of God last night and I want to talk to you, but don't tell anyone and don't talk at me about it, but I want to tell you what happened. But that only came because there's these moments when we have to deny ourselves and we pick up our cross and we're mocked and people laugh and yet the Lord uses that. But it'll look different for each and every one of us. It's this discipline in our life. This discipline of saying yes to Jesus and no to self. Whether that is in what we do in the morning as we deny ourselves and we have that discipline to follow that through. Or being able to accept that whenever we're wondering, you know, could we afford a nicer holiday? Or maybe, maybe there's an opportunity for us to give this money elsewhere. These are all questions that we have on each and every day. And it comes from being a disciple. As we get to enjoy Jesus and we deny ourselves, we have to take up the discipline of bearing that cross and going, I choose that. I choose that. And in a world that is so devoid of the discipline of making choices, we need to become better at that. And so often we can see actually in our lives, you know, what we choose, it becomes clear by where we put our money and our time. I get a new set of interns every year and one of the first things they have to do is to fill out their time sheets and their money sheets of where they've, where they've put all their money and they fill it into a big chart and it becomes very clear where they've put their money and then where they've put their time. And it's really revealing and every month I do that now. It really challenges my heart of going, well, where have I put my money this month? What have I decided that was more important than the kingdom of God? What have I done that has said that my time, that was more worthy than time spent with the Lord? And it should be a real challenge to us. And it is this thing of how are we being changed? How are we being formed? What's discipling us?
And so often it's the world around us rather than Jesus. But it would look different for you. But as we, as we go through this and as I come to a close, as we are desiring Jesus, we're denying ourselves, we're having the discipline of picking up our cross, it gives us a direction. As Jesus closes out verse 34, take up your cross and follow me. As we do these things, we will become more like him and we will walk a path that looks much more like Jesus. It'll be one that is willing to not be seeking the prophets of this world, but it'll be looking to have this hope in heaven and this joy in our soul. As we do these things we in, and inhabit these disciplines, we gain this direction that allows us to really get these promptings of the Spirit that go, do you know what? I feel it on my heart to do this instead. I feel like this is a thing that we should do. But we need to be attentive to that. We need to be attentive to what then Jesus is saying to us. But we can only do that as we're shutting out the noise of this world that just continually tells us to continue to feed ourselves with lies. Lies that tell us that, you know, you're fine by yourself. You know, you're a good person. We know as Christians that we're not good people, but in Jesus we have everything that we need. And we need to be able to trust that. Trusting that he will provide this great path for us. And so as we look after our children, as we decide on what money looks like, and we decide what we do when we're at university, what we do at school, what we do in our careers, we need to be following Jesus in that. And we want to be a people that as we deny ourselves, see the kingdom of God grow. Because actually that is where we have a hope in heaven. And we will get to rejoice one day with all of these other people who have rejoiced and seen Jesus for who he is. But we have to ask the questions of what it means for our own life. As I close now, I'd love us to maybe stand and just pray. Um, I think the worship band are going to come back up in a, in a minute. Um, but I'd really love us just to reflect on what this means for ourselves. Um, I'd love us, not because it's anything super spiritual, but I'd love us if we could close our eyes and, and just reflect for ourselves for a minute. Um, maybe you feel challenged in something um, that you've just heard. Maybe on one of those areas that we've just looked at. As we see Peter have this idea of who he thinks Jesus is and he's had to make this decision on whether he really follows and whether he understands Jesus to be God, to be the Messiah, the one that will suffer does he desire to be with him and maybe this is something you want to reflect on yourself as as we look on this what does your life look like in desiring jesus do we need to spend more time with him i know my day i i need to spend more time with him i need to enjoy that and i want to seek more after him and maybe that's a prayer now as you reflect on it what does it look like for you to desire more of jesus maybe it's about denying self it says you've recognized maybe as we've been sharing this there's areas of your life where you've been looking to other things maybe rather than Jesus for comfort we've been looking at comfort over calling maybe you feel the Lord putting something in your heart now that you're going Do you know what that's that's something that I really need to look at that's an area of time that I could spend there's an area that we should be giving somewhere else maybe it's this discipline of bearing our cross so often today we can just hide away from that. Not willing to take that up, afraid of the consequences of that. But we know that we walk in the way of Jesus when we do that. And so maybe that's something there that we want to reflect on. 
Maybe it's that discipline of building spiritual rhythms into our life, more time in scripture, giving, inviting people into our house and spending less time with ourselves, bearing that cross in whatever that looks like for ourselves and accepting the direction of Jesus, looking for that time that time to hear what he's saying, that prompting. And maybe you've been prompted by the Lord in something over this last while, not necessarily this morning, but over this last couple of weeks and something you feel the Lord's really put on your heart. I'm just gonna pray for us now. Father, I thank you that as we come here, we're able to open up your word, Jesus. And I thank you that you speak directly to us through your spirit. And I pray, I pray, spirit, that as we stand here, I pray that you... Show us what you want of us right now, Lord. I pray that you give us a heart that will desire you and enjoy you and delight in you. And I pray that the first thing that we can do each day will be to enjoy you. And I pray that our day will primarily be about enjoying you, not seeking after ourselves. We pray, Lord, that as we look to deny ourselves, I pray it's not for denial's sake, but I pray, Jesus, that you can pull those areas in our life that we've been making idols of, Lord, those areas where we've been finding our worth in, what we look to, whether that's in our social media, in our, in our money, in our time. I pray you help us to seek a life of calling and not comfort. I pray, Jesus, that as we think about discipline, I pray that you help us to bear that cross as you did, Jesus, to step forward as we remove those things in our denial, I pray you give us the confidence to step boldly forward and bear our cross in what you've called us to. And we know, Jesus, that you have a call on every single person's life in this room. And we pray that you make us so clear of what that is and what that looks like now through your spirit. And I pray that you help us in these little moments to make those little decisions to follow you and bear our cross. And we pray just that as we do that, we'll be a people who have a direction and a purpose in following you. And I pray that, Jesus, as we do that, we can hear you. I pray you give us time to hear more of what you have for our life. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.